Good morning, Christ community. As Pastor Bob said, my name is Ken, and this is Madeline, and this is our little daughter, Julie. So we are going to be lighting the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. We're lighting it to celebrate the first Advent, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ. We now look forward with hope to his second Advent when he comes in glory. Isaiah 11, 1 through 9 reads, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All right, let's pray. Jesus, you are our true hope, and it's easy to forget as we go about our daily lives and our concern about all these things around us, the world events, family issues, finances, college finals. Um, but our greatest hope is not that those things would resolve, but rather that you will come again in glory and we will be with you always. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that hope. We look forward to it uh, with joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning uh, for this one service, which is uh, a nice thing to do, especially during the holidays, to all meet together. And and it occurs to me, as I get up here to speak, just before I I got up, I thought, this is great because there's no second service that comes behind this service, so I can preach as long as I want. I saw a few people going like that. <laughs> no, I won't. I'll prepare what, uh, I'll deliver what I prepared this morning, and I don't think it'll be long, but um, it's a wonderful Sunday. Just a reminder, uh, we've said this a couple of times already in one way or another, but it's an important reminder about what Advent is about in the history of the church. It's basically summarized this way. It's about remembering and it's about anticipating. Remembering that Christ once came and fulfilled the law and the prophets. And we use Old Testament passages nearly every Sunday on Advent except near the end where we bring in the New Testament to remind us of those prophecies that were fulfilled in the coming of Christ. But Advent is more than that. It's an anticipation of Christ's second coming. 
Because we know that as he once came, he will come again. Of course, different this time. Not as a baby that needs to be protected by parents. Not as a child that grows up, but as the conquering king. The one who will bring peace and justice to an earth that needs it so much. So today, our theme is hope. And when we focus on hope, we're focusing on hope, past, present, and future. As to the past, the passage we read this morning was a time where hope was needed. A time where many people had lost hope. The people of God, especially at the early part of the chapters in Isaiah, in the northern kingdom, had been taken captive by a very hostile and heavy-handed power to the north, the Assyrians. The Assyrians' map of conquest went all over the known world. It was gigantic. The Assyrians had a stranglehold on Nation after nation after nation. Eventually, the Assyrians themselves began to crumble. And the Babylonians took over. But it was still in the north. And it was still dominant. And then before it was all over, the Persians took over the Babylonians. But all of this in the Fertile Crescent. All to the north of Israel. And Israel was in various stages oppressed. In the passage we just read... Isaiah is speaking to a captive people. And he's saying, in effect, a day is coming where liberation will be yours. And the characteristic of this liberation is not just liberation in itself. It's a new king. Or the word we use in the Christian church is the coming of the Messiah. It's a person who will govern with justice, who will lead his people like a gentle shepherd leads his flock. That day is coming, says Isaiah. I promise you, have hope. What are the lessons for today as we reflect on the past, think about the present, and look to the future? What are the lessons for us today out of Isaiah chapter 11 and any number of other passages in the Old Testament? Let's put it this way. If we look at those passages and we look at the New Testament, what is or ought to be the characteristics of Christian hope? What ought they to be? First characteristic of Christian hope is patience. Patience. I want you to consider for a moment, just imagine, will you? Not based on some scholarly text, but imagine for a moment. You know the human condition, correct? Imagine for a moment when this first proclamation was made to a captive people. Imagine the debate and the confusion that surrounded Isaiah's words. Imagine the confusion and the debate surrounding whether or not Isaiah was talking about a redemption of his people from Assyria and a restoration into the land or 
whether he was actually talking about a messianic theme that was by nature larger than just the nation of Israel. Can you imagine for a moment the debate? One person says he's talking about our rescue. It's pretty obvious we're ensnared by a foreign power. It'll come. Hang on, we'll be restored to the land of Israel. And another person may have said, oh no, he's not just talking about that. He's talking about something grander. He's talking about a messianic kingdom that will go on forever. Maybe there were those who like today, even then, saw it as both. They saw the prediction as being fulfilled in the future that God would restore his people to their land. And they saw the prediction speaking to a future promise concerning a messianic kingdom that might not be just around the corner. So imagine the patience needed to wade through that interpretation that understanding or misunderstanding of the promise of a Messiah. But also imagine the patience needed to simply wait. There are few things that are more characteristic of our culture than a lack of patience, right? We want it now. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons that Advent is so important. We don't just jump from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day. We go through a process of remembering and anticipating. Patience is good. But imagine the patience that was necessary to wait for Messiah. When the promise was delayed, far more than people thought it ought to be. Or when the promise seemed to be completely unfulfilled. It's not as though people might have thought. The promise is coming. There's evidence it has not arrived and will not come. Imagine those voices and the patience needed to say, no, the promise is real. Imagine the patience needed when People really with disrespect and scorn for believing individuals scoffed at the fact that the promise was coming. Tremendous amount of patience needed then, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean today. Romans 12, uh, verse 12, speaks about patience. It says concerning hatred that comes towards the people of God, concerning anxiety about the present and the future. It says be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Do not be conceited. How do we patiently wait? There's a good word. We wait patiently in affliction. And we have hope. And we have joy in the midst of whatever is going on. How difficult is that? You know it's difficulty. And you can imagine the difficulty for these first hearers. So what are the characteristics of Christian hope? First, patience. Second, confidence. Confidence. To use the words of Hebrews chapter 11 that you're all so familiar with if you're familiar with the Bible. Faith is being sure of what is hoped for and certain of what is not seen. It was by this that the ancients had faith. It was by this that the ancients were justified. The confidence, the faith that we're called to have resides in the historical faithfulness of God. So if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to recognize one person after another after another that believed the promises of God and faithfully continued until the promises were fulfilled in their life and when the promises were not ultimately fulfilled in their life. Many of these faithful people, says the writer of the book of Hebrews, endured, endured all kinds of persecution, knowing full well that God was faithful. Why did they know full well that God was faithful? The testimony concerning God's faithfulness comes from those people who have been faithful to God, like Abraham when Isaac was born, like Moses who was faithful to God and realized that God was faithful to the people and brought them into Canaan land. And the list goes on and on and on. Our call to be faithful is a call that's grounded in the historical faithfulness of God. Our call to faith relates to the historical faithfulness of God. Why do I emphasize that? Well, one, just to recognize that this thing called faith is grounded in reality, historical reality. But I say it for one other reason as well. And here it is. We are a very turned inward people. All of us are. That's the nature of humanity. And sometimes when we talk about faith, when we talk about confidence that God's going to fulfill his promises, we can morph into what you might call self-confidence. Now, by that, I don't mean necessarily confidence in oneself, though that's true. I mean another, another form of self-confidence. It's more subtle. This kind of self-confidence is related to faith. And that kind of self-confidence says, I will have faith. I've got the faith to endure this. And the focus is on my individual faith. The focus should never be on my individual faith. The focus should be on the faithfulness of God, not my faith. Maybe you don't see this turn in us, but I witness it often in others and in myself. 
the focus becomes me and my faith rather than believing in the faithfulness of God. So where is my confidence? In my faith? God forbid. My confidence is in the faithfulness of God. My faith is weak, but God is faithful. Characteristics of Christian hope, patience, confidence, and humility. Humility. Let me remind you something I think you already know. But since it's a reminder, perhaps something we need to hear again. Believing that God will do it is not the same as knowing how God will do it. I'll repeat it again. Believing that God will do it, that God will be faithful, is not the same thing as knowing how God will do it or how he will be faithful. This was a stumbling block for those who first saw the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It was a stone they tripped over. God was supposed to do it this way. And what did they get mixed up? They got mixed up the reality that you can believe that God will do it and it transforms into believing God will do it this way. The two are separate, entirely separate. So when we think of the second coming of Christ, it is so easy for us to say, I am confident in the coming of Jesus Christ and to morph into this other reality, which should not be our reality, that we are confident concerning how Christ will come and when he will come. Those things we do not know, those things we accept by faith, those things reinforce for us a humble approach to hope, or they should. What we need to do is to decouple, to de-link our faith that God will do it to a prediction about how God will do it. We need to hear the words of James, actually, and apply them to big global predictions about God's coming. You remember that, that, that occasion where James is writing his epistle and he talks to people about practical life, which is what James is all about? And on one occasion, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change the way you think and speak about life. And here's how I want you to change the way you think and speak about life. Instead of saying, tomorrow we're going to Indianapolis. That's modern day. Say, if the Lord wills it, we will travel to thus and so. Instead of saying, we're going to go buy this field or do this activity, we want to say, if the Lord wills it, we will go and do this or buy this. Why? Because we don't know the future. 
Our life is a passing vapor. And if that is true and we reside confidently in the presence of God in our life, we realize that it makes no difference whether or not our plans fail. God is sovereign. God is faithful. So let's reorient our thinking, says James, to say if God wills it. I grew up in a context where that was said a lot. And as a child, I just grew annoyed by it. Not only because I wanted whatever it was to be true, I didn't want it to be if God wills it. I just got tired of it because it sounded like a platitude. It sounded like super spirituality. But when I remember the admonition of James, I realized they were right. We will, if God wills it. That's a humble approach to faith. The fourth characteristic of Christian hope First, there was patience and confidence and humility is anticipation. I struggle with the word. I wasn't quite sure which one to use to try to communicate what I wanted to express, but I chose that one. What I mean by that is confident anticipation. I mean by that Patient anticipation. I mean by that humble anticipation. I mean by that that we really do anticipate the restoration of all things. On one occasion, the Apostle Paul in Colossians, Colossians 3 2, speaking about the earthiness of our existence counsel us to think differently. Here's what he said. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If we truly anticipate the second coming of Christ, if we truly anticipate that our reality is eternal, if we truly anticipate that this life is not all there is, if we really, really anticipate the future, we will not, as John put in his prayer, go to broken cisterns. We will not rush after the things of the world as if they can satisfy our thirst. We will see them as temporary and we will anticipate the true reality that is to come. Now this, of course, is not a prohibition against ordinary things. Instead, it's a teaching. It's consistent with the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Put it another way. Seek me and you'll be just fine. Paul also says something similar to this in Romans chapter 8 beginning with verse 18. 
The anticipation means that we reorient our thinking even about suffering. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy or worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation itself was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Anticipate that reality, says Paul. Even creation groans for that reality. You too ought to anticipate that reality. You too ought to walk through life, says Paul, and consider the present sufferings that you have not even worthy of comparing to the glory that will be revealed. There is another day. Anticipate it with all eagerness and confidence and faith and hope because it's coming. There is a promise in Scripture that I never tire of repeating. Christ's real return will transform our reality. It will be a reality where the lion lays down by the lamb, where the child plays next to the nest of a viper, where a new heaven and a new earth emerge. And our job is to have hope. Patient, confident, humble, anticipatory hope that God will be faithful to his promises. Let me bring Easter and Christmas together right here. What is our confidence in that hope? The cross of Jesus Christ. The one who became human died for the sins of the world and was raised again in bodily form to pronounce over his creation, it too will be raised in glory. Now that's historical, that's spiritual, that is our hope, and it ought to characterize our daily lives. Let's make it true, shall we? Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that is in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. We thank you that no matter what happens in this life, we can consider ourselves to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because as Paul said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we are secure in your love that was demonstrated in Jesus Christ. May that security 
swell in our hearts with a great hope. May we live as people who are faithful now and look to the future because you are faithful. Amen.